Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Hear from the experts, including media covering upcoming opponents in the ACC, former Georgia Tech letter winners, and the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network crew. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. And welcome inside the From the Flats podcast, week two. Georgia Tech coming off a 41-0 win over all Corn State, preparing to take on the USF Bulls. And as we get things started prior to game number two in 2018, we'd like to welcome our guest, Joey Knight of the Tampa Bay Times on the South Florida Beat. Joey, this is your sixth year on the USF Beat, and, and we're happy to have you. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. All right. Well, let's take a look at this USF team, and I think we can start with this. 22 and four since the start of 2016. Why has this team been so successful and, and what place do they occupy when it comes to college football uh, in Florida? Well, I think UCF and USF, they're kind of a mutual entity in the sense that they fancy themselves as a cut above the conventional group of five programs. In fact, I think the entire American Athletic Conference. You know, it's continuing this power six narrative. It's not a it's not a group of five conference. It's a it's a power five league, the sixth power five conference, if you will. And right at the head of that is USF and UCF. And the reason for in USF's case for its uh, turnaround in the last three to four seasons is just really good in-state recruiting started by Willie Taggart, who we all know now is at FSU. And uh, Charlie Strong, who preceded Willie when Willie uh, left for Oregon in December of 2016, uh, these guys have just kind of made a commitment that they were going to um, they were going to work the state hard and try as best as they could to put a fence around the Tampa Bay area. And coincidentally, USF is just on this um, on this staggering run, began with an eight and five season in 2015, and then eleven and ten win seasons. Uh, preceding that and that's where USF stands right now. It's such a special group that came through. Quentin Flowers, obviously the biggest name of that class, American Athletic Conference uh, Offensive Player of the Year a couple of years ago and and I think holds 42 school records is what I saw. But he's obviously uh, at, gone now. At least now. that. <laughs> exactly. At least 3 dozen school records. <laughs> but he's gone now as are a lot of other players from that uh, that run and and 16 and 17. What can you tell us about the 2018 version? of the USF Bulls, and, and specifically Blake Barnett, a guy who spent a year at Alabama, or a couple years at Alabama, a year at Arizona State, and now finds himself uh, in South Florida. Some w- would argue that Blake Barnett, you know, uh, who started the season opener for Alabama a couple years ago, and has kind of been on a little journeyman career since then, uh, a lot of people believe Blake Barnett is a little bit better fit for this offense than Quentin Flowers. Now, Charlie is quick to say, you know, Blake Barnett is no Quentin Flowers. Nobody is Quentin Flowers. As, as we talked about, he, Quentin said, at least three dozen school records here. He's widely considered the greatest player in school history. But something that Blake Barnett could do that maybe Quentin couldn't do quite as well is, is get the ball downfield consistently, accurately and consistently. Uh, and that's his gift. Blake's six foot five. He can move a little bit, but he's more of a more of a passer. And and people believe that in time he'll be a better fit for what Sterling Gilbert likes to do in just terms of stretching a defense and getting vertical shots downfield than Quinton. And he's he's engineering this offense right now. And he's got some, he's got 
a very, you know, very um, deep stable of running backs behind him, guys who can do different things, downhill runners, slashing runners. Um, and he, he's got arguably the deepest core of receivers this school has ever had to work with. Well, it's no secret what Georgia Tech likes to do offensively, the triple option. Now, this is just Charlie Strong's second year at USF, but you were around on the beat uh, when the Bulls took on uh, Navy or, uh, for a couple of years in 15 and 16. Do you get the sense that that the rhetoric of assignment football and, and using your eyes, is that pretty similar this week as to what you might have seen a couple of years ago when USF was facing Navy? Oh, no question. No question. Very similar rhetoric. And we all know that Navy coach Ken Numantololo, uh, you know, studied at the foot of Paul Johnson. So a lot of what um, Navy does is very similar to what to what Georgia Tech does. Uh, you've still got a few guys on this team that 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 played Navy. Um, the Bulls played Navy in 2015 and 16. So you've got some holdovers who who know what they're in store for. Um, on Saturday at Raymond James Stadium. The weather in Atlanta is is far from uh, chilly this time of year, but obviously Tampa is Saturday at noon is going to be hot and warm. How does USF handle the weather, you know, when, when it comes to not only just this week, but all of preseason practice? Do they try and practice? Do they have the indoor option to practice? Or do, I know I think I saw Coach Strong had to adjust his press conference er, earlier this week because of rain. How, how does the weather and the climate affect how USF practices? Well, it's funny you should mention that because USF does not have an indoor practice facility and Charlie Strong has made no secret that they desperately need one. Charlie wanted this year to start having afternoon practices. Well, they've already reverted back to morning practices, very early morning. As a matter of fact, um, you know, we're talking 6.15 in the morning just because the afternoon weather, weather pattern would not cooperate with that. In preseason camp before classes started, they would practice 10, 10 to 12, 30, you know, 10 to 1 each day. So they, they're acclimated. They, they know what they're in store for with the heat on Saturday. But, you know, that said, if Georgia Tech can sustain drives of 9, 10, or 11 plays, you're in a world of hurt. Joey, thanks so much for your time. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday. And I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. All right. When we come back, we'll speak with a former Yellow Jacket letter winner. That's next on the From the Flats podcast. He's going to look, sail it downfield. Tyler Melton, touchdown, Georgia Tech. <laughs> Three plays, 90 yards in a minute. And look who's back in town. And back in town, figuratively at least, a Texas native and Orlando resident, but a lifelong Yellow Jacket. Tyler Melton joins us on our former letter winner segment, a player for Coach Paul Johnson from 2008 to 2011. And Tyler, thanks so much for uh, for coming back, and, and we're thrilled to have you. Thanks for reaching out and having me. It's good to be here. All right, well, let's let's start with this. Before we get into football from uh, those four years, which included playing in an Orange Bowl, an ACC championship, a big win in Athens, uh, can you tell us what you're up to right now? Yeah, yeah. So I am currently running the Orlando market for a company called Carvana. Um, if you haven't heard of Carvana, it is an online car retailer, and uh, and I am knocking things out da- out in uh, Orlando. Now, that wasn't your first job out of school, obviously. I work in a couple of different places. Can you kind of walk us through the moment you decided to to move on from football? I know you had a, a brief opportunity there in the league, uh, but then moving on, and you know, what was the process like going from football to uh, 
uh, another workplace? Yeah, so uh, the process uh, wasn't too bad for me. Uh, you know, uh, Georgia Tech has uh, set me up for for things that I, I couldn't and opened many doors that I couldn't open myself. After um, my little short stint with uh, with the Falcons and uh, my body was feeling pretty beat up, I decided kind of it was time to hang up the cleats and put my degree to good use. I was able to, uh, to start my career with Mondelez, which is basically a, a, the new school craft. Um, so I started at the bottom, got a few promotions, uh, was a uh, account manager at Mondelez, and I was doing well there. And then Coca-Cola eyed me out while I was actually uh, in the store. So some of work at the kind of show through um, was able to transition to Coca-Cola, was a was a district manager there. Um, I believe when I came on, I was the, the youngest district manager uh, in the country at the time. Um, and then opportunity came up for me to, to work at Carvana. And, and that's been a trend, uh, not only throughout your professional career, but even in your football career at Georgia Tech. It, some may even wonder, is it more impressive to be one of the youngest district managers in, in the company, or is it more impressive to start as a true freshman on offense under Paul Johnson? <laughs> um, I, I, I think I think they're they're both the same, man. It's just uh, I, I've been blessed to be in unique positions at, at a young age and to be able to take advantage of those at the same time. All right, so Tyler, let's let's talk about those four years at Georgia Tech. You played in forty-five games, a couple real big ones as well. What moment or a game stands out the most to you, man? So uh, something that really sticks out to me is just uh, you know that two thousand eight season when we went up and uh, and handled Georgia. Um, you know, my boy Roddy Jones just lost his absolute mind and went for two hundred some change yards. Um, and that uh, we still talk about it to this day. One of the defining moments of that game uh, on Saturday in 2008 in Athens was the start of the third quarter, and Georgia Tech ends up scoring three touchdowns in a span of about eight minutes. What's one story about that day that maybe other fans don't know about? Perhaps what, what was said in the locker room trailing by 16 at halftime from Paul Johnson? Right. So uh, in the locker room, uh, you know, we, we had a kind of a reality check, but we also knew that we were in striking distance. D. Rich, uh, Michael Johnson, some of my leaders at the time had, had really just kind of gave us a, an inspirational speech um, long as, as well as with uh, Coach Johnson of just like, hey, this is the last time we'll have this opportunity. Um, you know, and, and we really went out and just kind of gave it our all for those guys, ourselves. And then like also just just uh, to, to get the word out that we were a force to be reckoned with as well. So uh, we felt the tide shifting as we came back and and we just kind of chipped by chipped at it little by little. Didn't know it'd be eight minutes quick, but uh, it was uh, it was just awesome feeling that energy shift and then actually seeing it happen. Obviously, you, you have a win like that in 2008. You have uh, another extremely successful season in 2009. What's that bond like now today with your teammates? How often are you guys in touch? Dude, man, we talk all the time. Um, so I'm in, I'm in several group texts with, uh, with a bunch of different guys from Dominic Reese, Nick Clater, Roddy Jones, John Dwyer, uh, Derek Morgan. Um, I talked to D. Rich. Um, I talked to uh, I talked with a lot of those guys from from uh, from that stamp from from that time period. Logan Walls, Jason Peters. It's uh, that bond is for life. Um, I'm actually catching up with uh, with Tweeter this weekend, Andrew Smith um, this weekend at the USF game. Um, and and it's just we're just a phone call away. Um, if any one of my teammates ever reaches out to me, 
um, I do everything in my power to to help them with whatever they may have, uh, whatever the concern is, or just, you know, if we just want to chop it up and catch up, do the same thing. So uh, the bond is for life. Uh, it goes deeper than, uh, you know, it's a fraternity. Um, so it's just as thick as blood at times. Well, Tyler, thanks so much for joining us and look forward to seeing you this Saturday. All right. Catch you soon. All right. When we come back, we'll hear from Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford to get their thoughts on week one's opening victory over Alcorn State and look ahead of this Saturday's matchup against the Bulls. This is the From the Flats podcast. Bear receivers deployed to the right on second and ten. Draw a handoff. Waller trying to go around right edge. Loses the football. It's on the ground. Scooped up. David Curry, 10-5. Touchdown, Jackets. The scoop and the score. And welcome back, David Curry. Into the end zone for the touchdown. We're now joined by the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Radio Network crew. Voice of the Jackets, Andy Demetra, and All-ACC center, Sean Bedford. Guys, Jackets are 1-0 after a win over Alcorn State, 41-0. Is that a game where you feel like you guys can take anything away from? Well, I think anytime you see a defense pitch a shutout, you can get excited about the possibility that that brings. Um, what we saw out of that Tech defense on Saturday was a team that was going to bring the attack to the offense. They were not going to sit back and wait and just sort of hang out and wait to make the tackle. They were going to attack. And I think we saw with the stuff rate increasing dramatically, and that being tackles for no gain or for loss, uh, seeing a, a pretty dramatic uptick in that is is representative of a defense that not only was getting in getting some penetration into the backfield, but that was also running around, flying to the ball, swarming and making tackles. So that was very encouraging to me. Offensively, it wasn't always pretty, but anytime you put up 41 points, it's, that's a pretty good showing. Um, I think there's a lot to clean up. But the thing that that really heartens me with respect to what the offense did was that so many of the mistakes that led to inefficiencies are very correctable. And when you have eight returning starters on offense, Sean, I think you feel pretty sanguine that from week one to week two, those things can get corrected. I I know that's a reality check for some of these returning starters, and you know they've dedicated themselves to cleaning those things up. They also know they can't get away with making some of those mistakes when you take a spike up in competition like what they'll have versus USF on Saturday. Uh, And while I agree with Sean, I think defensively, you have to acknowledge the caliber of competition they face. But you liked how Georgia Tech was able to bust up those swing passes and bubble screens. There was just a juice on the field. Guys flying around. It looked like they were having fun attacking ball carriers and making those disruptive plays. Uh, Even if you're facing an FCS opponent in week one, you hope to see good habits. You hope to see a good tone set. And I think Georgia Tech on the defensive side had that as they get ready for the Bulls. We spoke with Joey Knight of the Tampa Bay Times moving forward to South Florida, 1-0. and uh, They've won 22 of their last 26 games. He mentioned that USF likes to pass to set up the run. Is that what you guys have seen on, on film thus far? And, and what do you expect to see from South Florida uh, this weekend? I think USF recognizes that the strength of this team in terms of personnel is in the passing game. They have a very dynamic receiving core led by Tyree McCants, And Blake Barnett, the transfer from Alabama and Arizona State, has shown that when he's given time, he can really throw the ball all over the yard. He was very on target against Elon. And when you can present that downfield threat, that really forces the defense to to back off the line of scrimmage. It opens up lanes for the running back, especially against an offense like USF that's going to try to spread you out. And if USF has a single greatest position of depth on either side of the football guys, 
it might be a wide receiver. They've got four of their top six wideouts back. We saw Randall St. Felix go off against Elon. Sean, you'd mentioned Tyree McCants. And so they have a lot of skilled guys that they're going to try to get into space. With Blake Barnett, what makes him interesting is that he's not as mobile necessarily as Quentin Flowers, but at the same time, he's more mobile, I think, than what he gets credit for. I'll be curious to see how they utilize him in the running game. Uh, one of the guys that did not get a featured spot in the backfield last Saturday was Jordan Cronkite, the Florida transfer, who was expected to battle for that top running back spot in camp. He suffered a minor injury that held him out of the Elon game. How might he change the complexion of their running game if he is dressed out and ready to go against the Yellow Jackets? Well, if one thing's for sure, it's that USF has an elite offense. They've been held under 30 points only twice in their last 30 games. As far as Georgia Tech's offense, though, and their passing game, I know Taquan Marshall quelled some fears there in the third quarter about his ability to pass the ball, guys. But what do you make of his overall game one performance and then looking ahead uh, to what he can do the rest of the season? I thought that Taquan played well in the running game. I thought he did a good job of distributing the ball um, in the option game and seemed a lot more comfortable in the pitches to his A-backs at the same time, though, you could tell there were moments in that game where he was pressing. Um, but once he settled down and got comfortable with a couple of, of passes to his receivers, it seemed like he really got into a rhythm. And I think that's more indicative of what he's capable of as a passer going forward. What's interesting, though, is that they're facing the USF defense that has had to replace a lot of guys. Everybody knows if you're a Falcons fan, Deidre Sanat, he was at one D tackle last year for the Bulls. Their other D tackle. Uh, Hector, he made the 53-man roster, the Philadelphia Eagles. They lost their top two cornerbacks. They lost their all-time leading tackler in program history. And against Elon, though they won going away, and you might chalk this up to a lapse of focus after the game got out of hand, they still allowed 192 rushing yards to Elon. So as much as fans might want to zero in on Taquan Marshall's passing ability and his throws this upcoming Saturday, uh, this could easily be one of those games where Georgia Tech is content to pound down the ground and only need to crack things open over the top when they need to, based on what we saw from USF last weekend. And given what we saw in 2018 as well, or 2017, I should say, Tech struggled on the road for whatever reason. Did you guys read anything into that other than just a, a couple of bad bounces here and there? Well, I think it's always tough to go on the road, and especially when you're going to a place like Death Valley or if you're playing in conditions like Tech had to deal with, uh, particularly at Miami. But I think a lot of that also has to do with a relatively inexperienced team last year that just hadn't really gotten the feel for how to win those those uh, close games in adverse conditions. And I'm hoping to see a team this year that's a little bit more mature, that's ready to take care of business on the road. And um, I think they're fully capable of that. Yeah, they were plenty talented enough to win those games at Miami and, and at Virginia and, and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a matter of finishing it out. And uh, look, I fully expect this game to, to potentially be close going into the fourth quarter, and this will be the first litmus test for Georgia Tech. They've talked about it. Now, if it's a close game on the road and they're nursing the lead, let's see if they can be about it. Uh, I know that Wiley Vander will once again be soaked on the sidelines like he was in Charlottesville <laughs> and Coral Gables, except it'll be from sweat with this noon kickoff as opposed to monsoon-like conditions like we had in, in, in Miami and Charlottesville. Well, to be honest with you, I'm probably most concerned about what kind of shape I'm going to be in as I try and race to the top of the stadium and launch the cannons uh, from the pirate ship at Raymond James. Uh, Sean, I know you've done some research the blueprints. Is, is there a faster route to get up there through some air conditioning? 
Uh, we'll talk about that off off air. Off. Okay. Understood. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, thanks again for uh, for swinging by, and uh, we hope to launch the uh, cannons a lot uh, this Saturday when Georgia Tech takes on USF and. We'll see you on Saturday. Sounds good. At 10 a.m. to be exact. That's when we'll get our pregame coverage started. And, of course, Tom Slather at noon. Wiley, you on the sidelines. Sean, you and me up in the booth. And let's make it a winning Saturday. All across the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network. We'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game day for live coverage and subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.